welcome back to another podcast on X University Business Week. I'm your host, Max Shannon. Today I have David Scalsill, who is a serial chairman and non-executive director, board advisor, mentor and investor. David was the uh, president and CEO of the World Travel and Tourism Council, uh, is currently tourism board advisor for Airbnb and the chairman of travel advisory board for Founders Factory. He was regularly interviewed on media outlets such as CNN, CNBC, BBC and Bloomberg, and particularly in times of crisis during natural disasters or terrorist incidents. David has attended many global summits, speaking with high-profile individuals such as George Bush, Bill Clinton, Tony Blair and David Cameron. David has served as CEO of Apodo, the pan-European online travel agency owned by nine of Europe's leading airlines, of which he built from a startup until the business was sold in 2004 to Amadeus. Uh, for what I've gathered on David's LinkedIn, he's worked for 20 companies throughout his career, and 19 of which he held positions of at least director, including managing director, senior vice president, president, board advisor, CEO, and chairman. Um, I've only touched the surface, so if you would like to head over to David's LinkedIn, if you're interested, I'm sure I'm sure he'd be quite happy with that. Thank you for joining me today, David. I'd like to kick off by asking you to tell our audience about what your day-to-day job entails and a little bit about the travel and tourism sector. Let me start with travel and tourism. It is a huge industry. It accounts for around 10% of global GDP. It employs around 330 million people and generates around getting on for $9 trillion dollars contribution to the world economy so it's a huge huge industry and those numbers i just gave you for for 2019 Uh, what i do within that is i've done executive jobs in most parts of the industry in airlines hotels online travel businesses airports and i now work as a non-exec director or chairman of different travel businesses um, and I work across probably six or seven different businesses at any one time. So I'm a, I'm a non-executive director these days. What have, can you tell us a little bit about the effects of COVID-19 on the uh, travel and tourism industry globally, but also uh, in the UK? So maybe the impacts on companies, the number of flights, the change of flight routes, the rise of staycation, you know, you, you name it. Yeah, I think it's not an exaggeration to say that travel and tourism industry is probably the one that's been hit hardest by all of this. Uh, we've seen this in the past with things like 9-11, uh, the Iraq war many, many years ago, which triggered a recession. And, and they were significant shocks to the industry, but relatively short term. Uh, and the industry has seen nothing like this because it's a uh, accumulation of many, many different factors. So the impact has been dramatic. If you look at the different parts of the travel industry, the airlines have taken a real beating, beating in terms of stock price, their valuations, and of course their day-to-day operation. Um, The hotels, similarly, they have been uh, largely empty for swathes of time. And the only way they're going to get moving again is by working through all the COVID cleaning protocols and persuading customers that it's now stay, to stay in hotels again. But each part of the industry has been devastated by this with huge amounts of job losses. 
And everybody's looking ahead towards hopefully getting a vaccine that's going to work sometime March, April next year is what the medical people are saying at this juncture. And only when that vaccine arrives are people going to start to travel again seriously, either for business travel or for leisure, uh, with some degree of confidence. But up to that point, all of the travel businesses have been downsizing. Uh, the airlines have been putting aircraft into the proverbial car park, and they have been trying to sp spin out their cash as far as possible into the future uh, so that they're in great shape to start up again when the time comes. So I think what we've seen in the last three or four months is that people, there's still a huge pent-up demand for travel. People want to go, but largely they're going domestically these days. And even within Europe, it's becoming more and more difficult because of the quarantine that the government's put in place in the UK. But the short answer is it's an industry that's been devastated. Uh, we've lost a lot of momentum. But on the positive side, it will come back. And when it starts to come back, it'll come back very, very quickly. That's good to know. What trends have you seen for the recovery so far uh, regarding different regions, industries, and what measures are most accurate or most important to look at? Well, I think the first impact is that people have been concerned to get on flights and go internationally. So you've seen the rise of the staycation in the UK and also you know, domestic movement of people in virtually every country. Uh, so if you talk to Airbnb or you talk to Booking.com or Expedia, they'll say to you that they've seen huge growth even during the last three or four months in domestic travel uh, overall. So that's a positive. If you look geographically, uh, China, where this whole thing started in the first place, is pretty much getting back to normal again. If you look at the, the Chinese aviation picture, they're probably operating 80-85% of the flights there were before the virus started. So China's beginning to come out, and you see that reflected in the hotel occupancy as well. But the indicators you have to look at are they're very detailed indicators, and you can't just look at the US these days. You've got to look at state by state. You can't look at Europe anymore because each country is doing its own thing, and nor can you do it in Asia. But we see some green shoots coming in Asia now, and hopefully if we get through the Northern Hemisphere winter without too much difficulty, then we'll see that happening here again in the spring. Mm. So when, when we're looking at kind of a recovery as such for the, the travelling tourism uh, industry, do you think things like favourable exchange rates or cheap flights are, are more important than maybe a vaccine or government restrictions and the rest restoration of confidence? Yeah, no, the first thing has to happen is the, the confidence has got to come back. Governments have got to get on top of this. And people have got to want to start flying again. So everything around quarantine, testing, isolation, uh, blocking movements of people, those are the most important things for the industry. Then after what happens, once people start to happen, initially there'll be a massive discounting and offers out there to encourage people to get on airplanes. Currencies have always had an impact in the travel industry. If, if the pound goes down against the euro, we suddenly see a lot of people coming into the UK from Europe, the same impact uh, across the Atlantic. Depending on the exchange rate between the pound and the dollar, the airplanes are full going west or full going east. So that will always be a factor. But the first and most important thing is the macro environment, um, making sure that governments and the medical people get on top of this virus and kill it and produce a vaccine for it.
Okay, so do you think the travel and tourism sectors such as airlines and hotels have learned from other crises, um, health crises specifically, such as SARS, uh, you know, Zika, MERS? Yes, the answer is that they have. And Zika and SARS and MERS, they were, they were all regional uh, in impact, but they were devastating for the countries that had to deal with them. Ebola was another one. And in those countries and with those airlines that were affected, so in Asia, for example, they've got very used to dealing with this, the airlines and the hotel groups. At the height of SARS, for example, I think the hotel occupancy in Hong Kong was only 5%. So in Asia, they've had lots of great experience uh, dealing with these kinds of pandemics. But we haven't really done that in, in Europe or North America. So there's had to be learning coming out of the past. And certainly the airlines and hotel businesses and cruise lines have learned very quickly uh, from the past. And from that basic knowledge, they've now built, they've now figured out how they need to move forward. Um, and the issue of social distancing uh, is having a massive effect on particularly cruising because nobody's doing any cruising anymore. Uh, and the latest I heard out of North America was it may not be that uh, cruising gets reinstated until March, April next year. And so they've really figured out how to deal with social distancing on cruise ships. Mm. Do you think that they've learned from other financial crises such as 2008? Um, yes, th they have. Uh, the, the financial crisis of 2008-9 again had a similar devastating impact on the travel industry, but it was short-lived in the sense that it was a sort of 18 months, two-year impact. But it forced all the companies there to, to look really, really carefully at their cash flow. Now, that crisis, it didn't stop everybody traveling, so it wasn't as catastrophic as, as this was, but it did stop a lot of the business travel traffic. Uh, and the airlines uh, make or lose all their profitability around what they do with people paying business travel fares. And that stopped for a couple of years. And so airlines typically have a sort of five-year cycle of profitability. It tends to follow the global cycle of, of GDP. But during that crisis, it was pretty catastrophic for them as well. Uh, because, as I said, they lost the business travel element of, of their company. So, you know, these things go in swings and roundabouts. But in terms of cash flow management, they've learned how to do it before in the previous crisis. But they've never had to do anything quite like this in the past. And the difference in aviation between the UK airlines that have had no government bailouts at all and the US airlines and those big ones on the continents that have had massive bailouts. Yeah. Um, it's been quite a difference in the way different governments have actually approached this whole thing. So you mentioned business travel has quite a substantial effect on, on airlines. How, how damaging do you think that the relinquishing or step back of business travel due to people realising that they may not, they can do, you know, Zoom calls or they or due to climate concerns, how, how damaging do you think the step back of business travel could be to airlines? I think it will be damaging. I mean, nobody I talk to can see business travel going back to the same level it was in the past. People would leap on airplanes uh, almost the drop of the hat to go and talk to somebody to try and do a business deal. And in an M&A type environment, what has happened perfectly well during the lockdown is most of the uh, the approach work for a deal has been done online with Zoom calls, all the due diligence is done online. 
But actually, when it comes down to closing a deal and looking somebody in their eyes and, and, and actually concluding something where you're buying or selling, uh, the same if you're selling a product and you're trying to, to close a big deal, those things are going to have to wait until people are prepared to do it face to face. I haven't yet come across anybody who's been prepared to do a big deal uh, over a Zoom call. So the answer to your question is it, it'll, it'll be considerably lower. So from 100%, I would say in two years' time, we'll be back up around 60%, but probably no higher than that. And therefore, it will have quite a serious impact on the big network carriers, the flag carriers like the Lufthansa's and Air France's and American Airlines of this world. Wow. I think it's arguable that areas around the world, such as Spain, France, um, potentially the UK, could be in... You know, in a second, another second wave. What does this mean for travel and tourism, tourism industry? Do you think it could be a rerun, or do you think businesses and the governments have changed and reacted fast enough to basically mitigate the impacts of the second wave? Well, I think I think we're all, we're all in that second wave now. Certainly, the European countries are, and the United States also. And the the difficulty for the travel industry you know particularly the airlines is they don't know what to schedule in terms of flights and timetables anymore because the government certainly in the uk is changing its mind too frequently on on what it wants to do so you know as an example portugal was uh, i think only open for about four weeks in the end when the government suddenly said yeah portugal's okay you can go there and then four weeks later said no we're going to put the quarantine plans back into place with Portugal. So in the context where decisions are being made on the hoof every week based on the medical data, it's very difficult for the airlines certainly to, to plan. I think if you're in the other parts of the industry, whether it's accommodation and it might be your home you're renting out or it might be a hotel, it's, it's less of an impact because you're seeing more domestic movement. I mean, if you look at what's been happening in the UK in the last three months, four months you can't get a hotel room or anywhere to stay outside of london because everybody's doing the same thing so it's been a shift if you like in consumer behavior during that time but we know and the scientists are telling us and as we go into the northern hemisphere winter this is going to get worse and not better and, and all of the governments spain italy portugal the same in the uk they're trying to find that balance with not closing everything down dead like we were in, in April, May, uh, in which case you're going to take a huge uh, blunt axe to the economy of these countries. And they're trying to create this balance, and it's a very, very difficult balance to, to have, where you're trying to keep an economy going and keeping hospitality industry open, for example. But when you're seeing the numbers rising, your inclination is to shut everybody down again. Um, so we're going to be... It's a bit like uh, using accelerator and brake in a car, accelerating, braking, accelerating, braking all through the winter. I hope in the UK we don't get forced into a complete lockdown again because that would have a real devastating effect on the economy uh, at a time when this country, as well as the rest of Europe, is going into the deepest recession in the last hundred years. Mm. What do you think the future of travel and tourism looks like in the wake of COVID? Do you think that you know new tech has emerged or become more dominant since the COVID crisis? Well, in, in, in general terms, the you know the travel and tourism industry will come back. You just think about we talked about business travel. Just think about the leisure side of travel. I mean, people have always wanted to travel, and 
if you look at the growth rates of people coming to the middle classes in Asia, there's a huge amount of people coming through who, who want to start traveling. And that's why the industry has grown, you know, four or five percent every year for the last 10 or 15 years, which is one or two percent faster than the GDP. So travel is going to come back and people will continue to travel. The second half of your question about tech, if you go back in time, video conferencing was always used in the past for internal meetings, even for sales calls with people. But at that point in time, people assumed that it was going to kill business travel. It would stop people getting on airplanes and that didn't happen. I think the same thing this time, people are getting far more used to dealing with Zoom calls and blue jeans and all the other things that are out there. But business travel, there will still be a demand for people to deal face to face when they're making deals or trying to sell things. But tech generally overall, if you look at some of the big platforms in the travel industry and big for a platform, I'm talking about things like Airbnb or booking.com or Expedia.com, they've been working all the time and putting more and more emphasis on their technical capabilities. And I see this also in the startup world with Founders Factory and other startups I'm involved with, where a lot of entrepreneurs are coming through. They're not being hit at all by what's going on currently. They're just steadily developing all of their tech. And if you think back to the financial crisis of 2008-9, companies like Uber, uh, like Airbnb, like Klarna were all created during that downturn. So I'm assuming that some of the startups that I'm seeing now will be those next generation Uber and Airbnb companies that are born out of this pandemic. Do you think that there's risks and challenges associated with these with this new tech you've been talking about? Yeah, well, let's talk about risks and challenges. Um, you know, the risks and challenges to big established players, I think, are pretty self-evident for everybody. I mean, everybody can see that the airlines are not flying so many flights and that the hotels by and large, are pretty empty. And so those big companies have found ways of managing their cash flow through this crisis. And in many cases, certainly in the airline case, they've, they've received huge subsidies from governments. If you look at the other end of the spectrum, startups and much smaller businesses operating in the travel and tourism sector, they're going through the sort of early phases of their, their growth. And, and if they're really at that startup stage, they're not impacted at all by what's going on around them because they, they don't yet have serious traction in terms of revenue generation. They're still at that proof of concept stage. So if you're a founder coming out at this point in time with some, anything to do with the travel and tourism industry, uh, it's not a risk. Uh, you're not to be put off by this. Quite the reverse. It's now now's the time to be doing it as Airbnb and Uber uh, showed us in, in the last financial recession. Following on from, from Airbnb, how, is, how have they been financially affected? Well, at the very beginning of the crisis, like everybody else, they, uh, they were very badly affected as people stopped traveling, they stopped going, they stopped renting accommodation. And in many countries, they were prevented by the government from, you know, from doing anything at all. But then after about two months into this, they realized that people were getting fed up with being locked down and that they were going to start traveling domestically again once the government released the brakes. And so they prepared very rapidly to receive guests again for all the hosts to start receiving people. 
But in order to do that, they made sure that the hosts all signed up to a sort of COVID cleansing routine for their property. And they put in fire breaks so that you'd have to have a day between your guests in order to clean your place before the next, next folks arrived. So they got prepared and so did the hotel industry at the same time. So that when people started to move again, um, the customers they were receiving were happy that they were going to go and stay in an apartment or stay in a hotel room that had been properly cleaned for the last people in there and that there was no possibility of catching the virus in that location. So any of the sort of independent lodging companies, so I'm talking about Airbnb or Expedia or Booking.com, individuals renting their apartment or their house or whatever, that has really come back very, very quickly. Uh, because of this domestic um, focus in, in all the travellers' minds. But with the hotels, it's going to take longer, and particularly city centre hotels, which are typically used to receiving business corporate customers, it's going to take them much longer to get back to where they were before this virus started. Mm. Okay. Um, and I think the last question we can end off on, do you think airlines will ever be a good investment considering you know, competition affecting prices and high leverage and other metrics such as low return on equity and the future risks maybe such as another virus? Yeah, that's a great question. And you may have heard Warren Buffett decided to cash in all his chips from big network airlines he was invested in some months back. Um, airlines, you have to think of airlines in two different categories. The first are the big global network carriers, the American Airlines, United, British Airways, Air France, KLM, Japan Airlines. Those are the big, they used to be owned by governments, now they're not, but those are the big long haul carriers. And then you have to think about the low cost carriers, Southwest Airlines, EasyJet, Ryanair, Wiz, and those guys. And the dynamics are very different. So the low cost carriers, Southwest was the first. It's been around for 40 plus years. It has never lost money in any single year because their operating model is very tight. They know how to use airplanes and crews. They turn the airplanes around in 20 minutes. And it's a very, very efficient way of operating two hour flights, two hour sector flights. So those guys are far, under far less pressure. And those guys being private. Uh, have not received any government bailouts at all during this particular crisis. Now, the network carriers is where historically people have invested. And those airline stocks have gone up and down with the global economic cycle. And they've gone up and down as a sector when there has been something like 9-11 or SARS or, or now this particular uh, pandemic we're dealing with. And I haven't looked in the last week or so at, at how the share price impact has been sector by sector in the last probably since mid-march but i would guess that certainly airline stock and cruise stock uh, has taken a much bigger beating than other industries out there during this process so to answer your question the the big carriers they are good investments over time but they are very cyclical they have only ever really got close to 10% return on capital in three or four years. So they're not never going to be hugely profitable. The margins are always going to be very low. And I think they're worth investing in, provided you go into the right point in time and you catch the upcycle. And that's the upcycle of the whole economy, never mind coming out of a pandemic. It's really what, uh, what's happening with, with the total global economy that's going to be the key impact here.